Now, analysis and reaction. Here is NL News Director Shane Woodford on 610 AM. Good morning. Thank you for tuning in. Beautiful day shaping up here in Kamloops. We've got a busy show ahead for you. We are going to talk some civic politics with Bill Sarai in a bit, Kamloops counselor. We'll also have the general manager for the Wildlife Park, Glenn Grant, in studio and touch base on some local education issues with the president of the local teachers association to wrap up the show. But first, get Monday morning off to a start. A pleasure to welcome to the program as we do every Monday morning, Acumen Law's Kyla Lee joining us. Good morning, Kyla. How are you? I'm not bad, thanks, Shane. How are you? I am well. Uh, now, listen, most people take the weekend off. Uh, you did not. Uh, you guys have been running uh, the Dreger Drug Test 5000 through its paces, uh, and it's not like this device needs any more bad press, but uh, certainly some puzzling and eye-raising results. Uh, coca tea coming up positive for cocaine, poppy seed cake uh, from Tim Hortons testing positive for opiates. Uh, your concerns here? Well, obviously, a big concern about that is the fact that the Dreger Drug Test 5000 is testing positive for innocent substances. That's a huge concern to me because you're going to see people who are not impaired, who have not even ingested anything that's illegal, who are being pulled over, subjected to further investigation, arrested, and potentially charged on the basis of a faulty device. Now, the Dreger drug test device, for those who don't know, is the only, as we stand right now, the only approved device by the federal government to test for marijuana impairment. This thing has uh, some troubling features. Uh, it doesn't work all that well in the cold among them, uh, as well as these number of false positive tests. Uh, not a lot of police departments are going with this thing. A couple here and there are. But uh, what's your advice after going over uh, weekend results to any police department that's even remotely thinking about using this device? Well, I think one big thing would be if you are going to use it, my advice would be don't use it, but if you are going to, ensure that the driver has half an hour from when they last put anything whatsoever in their mouth. That's what we found in our testing was the, about the amount of time it took for substances to eliminate from your saliva so that you wouldn't get false readings from them. Of course, that raises huge concerns about whether somebody is arbitrarily detained during that time and whether or not they have the right to call a lawyer in that half-hour period. Now, from your perspective, and, and this is your area of speciality as far as the law is concerned, uh, if somebody, uh, in fact, is um, determined to be impaired uh, on a drug or drug test device, uh, do they have some pretty significant you know, legal fallbacks considering all the findings that you guys have found about the unreliability of this device? Oh, absolutely. Anybody who provides a positive result on the Drager Drug Test 5000 has ample grounds for legal challenge, not just because of the inherent reliability concerns in the operation of the device and the information that we discovered, but just the mechanism of taking the sample and the amount of time that it takes raises huge constitutional concerns and it's likely that this law would be struck down on a constitutional challenge. So anybody who's punished on the basis of this or who's arrested on the basis of this absolutely has an opportunity to apply for a remedy. Now the drug or drug test aside, uh, what about the Sotoxa device that you and I talked about last time? Have you guys had a chance to get your hands on this thing yet or no? Not yet. We're uh, working on some angles to try and obtain one, but unsurprisingly, like with the dragger, nobody wants to sell us one. <laughs> hey, Take my uh, money, please. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Uh, how would you get your hands on one then? I know you got your hands on a dragger device, and I'm more than a few of them, I think. Uh, where, where do you pick them up? Um, 
sometimes you can find people in other countries who are third-party sellers who don't know who we are um, and are willing to sell them to anybody. So we're exploring those options. Unbelievable. So, uh, so far, uh, kombucha, soy sauce, uh, Tim Hortons poppy seed cakes, and coca tea. Uh, any other uh, items of concern if you're going to be facing this device? Yes, we also found that people who had recently used CBD were producing positive results. The device is supposed to be specific to THC, and it's only supposed to detect CBD and give a positive for cannabis in extremely high concentrations that you wouldn't see people taking. But we had somebody who had never used cannabis before use less than half a milliliter of CBD oil which itself had less than 1% THC. So less than 1% of that half milliliter was THC. And they produced a positive result indicating that they had more than 25 nanograms per milliliter of blood uh, THC concentration. Any, I mean, that's kind of weird. Any reason why it would do that other than sort of the device being faulty? Did you redo the test? Uh, we did. We repeated the test uh, an hour later and it had eliminated from the saliva. Um, but essentially what it is, is the device isn't able, just like the roadside breathalyzers, it's not able to distinguish between what's in your saliva from recent consumption and what's in your saliva from being excreted through your saliva from your bloodstream. Unbelievable. Uh, and I mm-hmm. assume that this might not be the end. I assume that there might be other things coming down the line. I know you guys do that series of YouTube videos. Uh, what if it could fail? Yes, uh, we're going to have a couple videos coming out in the future showing some of the uh, sales that can happen on the drug or drug test 5000. We're also, um, we took urine samples from everybody over the weekend and we're going to be having the urine samples analyzed using gas chromatography. So we're going to be able to see what the actual THC concentration is in the urine compared to what it is in the saliva tester and see whether there's any correlation. Man, you guys really know how to spend a weekend. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We've only got a few minutes left. I want to touch on some other issues here. Uh, We had an interesting story pop up about a uh, Toronto lawyer who apparently was uh, crossing back into Canada after spending some time abroad. Uh, Toronto business lawyer's name's Nick Wright. Uh, The border service agent, I guess, picked him out of a line and said, listen, we're going to go through your luggage. He didn't have a problem with that. Uh, then they asked for access to his phone and his laptop, and he said, listen, I can't allow that. There's some confidential information protected by solicitor-client privilege on there. Uh, the Border Services Agency didn't take too kindly to that, to that and seized both. Um, is this concerning stuff or no? It's absolutely concerning. We have a constitutional right to counsel, and that includes private communications between a lawyer and a client. And our legal system has repeatedly recognized that searching lawyers' offices, searching lawyers' devices, is not permissible unless it's done under the supervision of the law society to ensure that no confidential information is disclosed. So the Border Services Agency taking this individual's cell phones and and devices is way outside their constitutional authority to conduct these searches. Um, this lawyer should be filing an application to the court for the immediate return of those items. What does, uh, you know, uh, there are certain things, lawyer among them, where there's going to be confidential information on your electronic device. Um, Maybe not so much for a journalist, but, you know, if you're a Joe Blow person and you're going through the border coming in out of Canada and a border guard says, I want access to your cell phone or your laptop computer, what recourse do you have, if any? 
if you're just an average person and you don't have some type of constitutionally protected right to confidentiality, unfortunately, you don't have much recourse at all. Um, they are entitled to seize your information. You have a very reduced expectation of privacy at the border. And so the, the border officials do have the right to do that. Okay. Uh, one last question. I just want to jam in here before you run out of time. Uh, money laundering is a big issue. Uh, it's something that's boiling away out there that uh, certain uh, Sam Cooper and others are, are shedding a light on each and every week. Uh, people are upset about this thing. Looks like the BC Law Society is putting some things on the table as some proposed changes, including uh, tightening up things around trust accounts and personal loans. Um, I don't know if you had a chance to kind of dive into this yet, but what are, what are your thoughts about these proposed changes from the Law Society? I think these proposed changes are really smart. We've seen quite a few disciplinary cases arise over the last sort of five to ten years involving lawyers' trust accounts being used essentially as mechanisms to launder money, um, loans being processed through lawyers' trust accounts without proper investigation of the source of the funds or why the loan is being um, given. And a, a lawyer's trust account isn't meant to operate the same as a bank account. It's supposed to receive funds and hold funds associated with legal services. If it's not being used for legal services, it really doesn't need to have to go through a lawyer's trust account. And so not allowing lawyers to use their trust accounts in that way makes sense to me. Is this, uh, is this sort of indicative of lawyers who may be in bed with the wrong people, or are these things happening without their knowledge? It's usually cases of lawyers just being innocent, innocent ploys in, in a scheme by other individuals. It's very few lawyers out there historically have ever been involved in money laundering. There are, of course, a few you know, very well-known cases. But most of the time, it's lawyers who get caught up with a client that they're a little bit too involved with. They're asked to do something. They think it's not a problem. And it turns out to be a huge problem. And they didn't do their due diligence to investigate. Kyla, always a pleasure. Thank you so much for getting our Monday morning going on the right track. Thank you for having me. That's Kyla Lee from Acumen Law uh, talking about some significant drawbacks to the Dreger Drug Test 5000 after a weekend spent testing that device and some other issues as well. And we talk to her every Monday morning right here on the Woodford Show. We're going to take a quick break. On the other side, Kamloops Counselor Bill Sarai. Radio NL. RadioNL.com. Local News Now. You're listening to Shane Woodford on Radio NL 610 AM and RadioNL.com. Good morning. Welcome back to the Woodford Show. A beautiful day here in Kamloops. A real pleasure to welcome to the program Kamloops Counselor uh, Bill Sarai. Good morning, Bill. How are you? Good morning, Shane. I'm fine. How are you, sir? I am well. Hey, uh, you've had a busy last couple of days. You went down to the Southern Interior Local Government Association. Uh, you're now a director representing uh, this city uh, in that organization. Uh, it caught my ear before we get into some of the issues relevant to our our, uh, our sort of area and how they uh, how they associate to Silga. Uh, it caught my ear when we talked to you last week that you said it came to your attention that Kamloops has not been represented on the Silga board for quite some time. Any idea why we haven't paid any attention to Silga at all or no? I can't answer. As a new councillor, I'm not really sure. I think the last councillor was Donovan Cavers. Um, maybe part of it was because we have Arjun Singh at UBCM. Maybe that was part of the reason that Silga goes to UBCM for their request and guidance. Um, maybe having Arjun on that board as the president this year, maybe that was one of the reasons. I'm not sure. I, I just felt um, for myself, uh, after getting elected, talking to fellow councillors uh, and t and uh, get, uh, requesting that maybe I should put my name forward, 
I got total support, so I thought it would be good for Kamloops. Absolutely. Um, why Why is it good for Kamloops? Why is it good to have representation there? Well, we're one of the bigger cities in, in the 37 members, and I think um, with last year's wildfires, there's a huge uh, uh, experience for us and uh, how we how we managed it. Um, with the feedback we got back and how we had to advocate for the citizens that were displaced. And I, I believe that uh, having the small villages and districts and townships involved also need uh, a city like Kamloops um, on, uh, on that board so we can um, give them a bit of our say, how a, a big city operates compared to some of the rural places. And I think that's just a, another added voice to that table. A bunch of resolutions on the table at the Silga meeting, I believe 20 or so. What was the most important to you that got dealt with? I think the most important to me was uh, the the flooding mitigation was very important to me. Um, what I heard from rural um, representatives was they have the means and the equipment and the know-how how to uh, mitigate floods that are coming this uh, spring or summer now, but they don't get the permits in time. And they only have a certain window of opportunity to get into those uh, channels of water where the uh, debris is accumulated by a bridge to clear it up. And But because all the regulations from the federal fisheries, the federal government, they only have a certain maybe a week or two to get in there and do that um, before the river rises and or fish uh, habitat di- uh, disturbance. But the permits never come on time. And that was one of the one of the concerns I have. I think those permits should be fast-tracked. Uh, especially when you know um, that the, the window of opportunity is, is, is only so much to clear that debris, um, that should be fast-tracked and someone should be on top of that file all on its own. Yeah, with uh, wildfires and floods, and it seems those two things, especially in this part of the world, uh, we were dealing with more and more. Thankfully, the flood part of it hasn't uh, been a big deal so far this year, fingers crossed. But uh, when right. uh, when Mother Nature deals you these cards, uh, uh, there's a sense out there, at least, especially in affected communities, it's time to clear the table and focus on the problem without any delay, I assume. Well, that's what we were at the table we're talking about. It. It's, it's better to start being proactive. This isn't one-off no more. We know it's coming. Um, it's better to be proactive than reactive. Um, and, and like you said, we don't know what Mother Nature is going to throw at us, but we've seen what she can do, and let's be ready for the worst and hope for the best. Absolutely. Uh, a couple of resolutions from our own Thompson-Nicola Regional District were on the table. One of them to dealt with uh, short-term rentals. Airbnb and companies like that uh, continue to present a, a bit of a problem for local governments. Uh, what did you see on that front, and, and how big a problem do you think this really is? Um, I, I really don't see it uh, uh, that big of a problem. I see the tax, uh, the luxury tax, more of a problem for, for rural communities that have seasonal um, residents. I see that as, as more of a, a uh, issue for those people. They're getting um, uh, hammered. You know, they get residents to come for half a year, and because they're not there, the other half they're getting a luxury tax put on their property. The Airbnb is um, the worst we've seen it, or the I, I wouldn't say worst. The most common Airbnb um, area is Penticton and Kelowna and Summerlin, and you can see why. That's a summer destination. Uh, people are uh, cashing out they'll they'll uh they'll go away for a couple of months in the summer and rent out their their lakeside houses or even in the middle of town because they know it'll be rented for the whole two months in kamloops we haven't seen that at all um very rare airbnbs here so uh, will it be an issue here in the future uh, i don't know 
Um, is it something that's on our radar? Uh, yes, it is. Staff has, uh, has been notified. They know about it. Um, I think we're okay for now. Um, if it becomes an issue, we'll be on top of it. Yeah, I expect that there is some activity here in Kamloops on the Airbnb. Front. I would, uh, with the TNRD lens, I would assume the bulk of the problem would be in the Sun Peaks area, but I could stand to be corrected on that. No, I, I, I agree there. I, I forgot about the Sun Peaks. That, that's one of our areas in town, and that's been uh, probably going on for quite a while, but now that Sun Peaks is on the map worldwide, it's probably more uh, famous for Airbnb. And, and same thing, um, local investors or uh, investors from around the world have bought places, but they're not there year-round, and they've realized with this new trend that why leave your house empty when you can uh, generate some income? And that's just a new norm, and it's just how um, townships and districts are regulating it. The other issue that TNRD threw on the table had to do with online voting, uh, something that has been the topic of conversation uh, a little bit more so in the local government level uh, than, say, provincial or federal. There seems to be a little more shyness there to, to really moving in that direction. But uh, what's your take on online voting, and is it something that we should see at the local government level? Um, our mayor actually brought that forward at, at uh, SILGA, and I, I support it. Uh, the reason being, we've, in the last the by-election and this election, and, and federal elections right across the country, voter turnout is very um, low. And somehow we need to engage. And, and we, other than lowering the age of uh, voters, how else do we attract them? And with technology nowadays and social media, it seems like that's the new trend. I, I have some uh, concerns about it uh, regarding if you look at south of the border, um, there's rumors that it was rigged and, and it was uh, other countries that got into the voting system. That concerns me, but on, on the flip side, if, if we can be assured that it's a safe way to vote from home on your computer, that is one way to increase the voter turnout and the participation. Uh, we need more people um, involved in politics, right from municipal, provincial, federal. Um, uh, everybody has concerns in their household. This is one way for to make it more convenient for them to express their their concerns. No, I would I would agree with you. Um, my concern on that front, as you mentioned, with the Russian interference in the U.S. presidential election, and obviously some bad foreign actors out there. Never mind individual hackers and stuff. I guess my big question is, what would um, what would have to happen to convince people that it's safe? I think that's the biggest question. I'm not sure how they could approach that where everybody goes, okay, I have confidence in this system. Um, I agree with you. And I think uh, even if uh, we rolled out one area of BC and, and, and had a, a trial basis on it, you're still going to get the, the skeptics uh, uh, saying, no, it's not right. Um, it's just uh, human nature. When someone loses or wins, the, the, they're gonna. The perception is gonna be there that it was something went wrong with the system. So I don't know if it'll it'll ever be a hundred percent supported, but I think it's worth looking at. At least we're talking about it. I think that's the first step. Um, whether it ever gets rolled out, uh, I'm I'm not sure. I'm not in in uh, you know the power to to say that. But I think the best thing is at least we're talking about it. Maybe. Um, I'm thinking outside the box now, maybe by talking about it, it'll actually get people out to vote that usually don't because they're concerned that, hey, if we don't vote and vote, it's going to go onto, onto the computer and then everybody's going to be able to vote and we, it'll, it'll um, 
someone will take it over and we'll get screwed. So let's actually make an effort and go out and vote. That's the flip side I'm looking at. Maybe this is sort of a, a kick in the, the behind to say, hey, if you guys aren't going to participate, this is what could be the next step. Yeah. Uh, Bill, always a pleasure. Thanks for taking a few minutes of your day, and congratulations on your new appointment at the Southern Interior Local Government Association. Shane, much appreciated, and uh, anytime, and uh, have a great day. You as well, sir. And that was Kamloops Councillor Bill Sarai, also newly appointed as a director of the Southern Interior Local Government Association. We'll take a quick break here on the Woodford Show. On the other side, we're going to hear from the BC Wildlife Park's general manager, Glenn Grant, who's in studio. Local News Now, Radio NL, 610 AM and RadioNL.com. Digging deeper into the day's top stories. You're listening to Shane Woodford on 610 AM and RadioNL.com. Good morning. Thank you for tuning in. Real pleasure to welcome in studio this morning the General Manager of the BC Wildlife Park, Glenn Grant. Mr. Grant, how are you? I'm absolutely great. And you? I am well. Good. Uh, sad news recently. You guys lost uh, lost Cherry, the beloved moose there. Yes, we certainly did. Yeah. Uh, and it, it was really tough on the staff. I bet. Uh, she was in poor health uh, for the last... Um, last few months. Yeah. So it, when, uh, when unfortunately she passed away in natural causes, we did a necropsy and yeah, there was uh, some renal problems and uh, uh, colon problems. It's really difficult to try and replicate a moose's diet uh, in human care. Oh, really? For whatever reason, uh, most facilities have struggled to, uh, to replicate a moose's diet. Is that Every part? other animal just seems to be fine. You know, but it, it's, yeah. maybe it's just a different bark or the different... Huh. Uh, leaves that they eat through the winter time to uh, you know to get to get nutrition, but um, it, it's it's tough to do it in captivity. So uh, the, about nine ten years is pretty average for uh, for a moose in human care. Yeah, and and she was nine when okay. uh, when she passed away. Uh, did I hear correctly? You guys are not going to put another moose anywhere in there. We are no not more moose. How no, come? Uh, again, if we if we can't look after the animal. Uh, it's not worthwhile. Extremely well. Yeah. Then, then why, then why do that? If we have one that's born in uh, human care and or born at another facility that needs a home for a while, yeah, we'd entertain that thought. But, okay. Um, but other than that, um, we'll uh, like the Greater Vancouver Zoo. They have a they have Cherry Sibling. Yeah. Uh, down there, and she's you know still having a few concerns, but is doing a lot better. Uh, and they can <laughs> they can feed browse throughout the entire year because of their climate. Yeah where we can't up here and it's uh, and it's again it's tough to to try and store it through the uh, through the winter months that we can that we can feed it out. So. Yeah. Well, uh, having been to the Greater Vancouver Zoo, I would prefer yours uh, seven days a week. Well, we would too. It's <laughs> <laughs> like I I cannot stand that yeah. facility now. It's a waste of my money. Yeah. Anyway, Another, 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 another story. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. You guys, though, do a great job. Yeah. Love coming out to the BC Wildlife Park. So, uh, Cherry, sad news, but uh, the good news is you've had some successful animal rehabilitations, including uh, one that has uh, been recovered and going to be released today. Tell me about those. Yeah. Well, this is uh, a, a young lynx. Uh, it was named Cinnamon because it came from the Cinnamon Ridge area. Yeah. And uh, it came to our uh, park. The COs brought it to us, and it was pretty lethargic and uh, had a really tough time. Uh, moving in, uh, had mobility concerns. Uh, so after checking it over uh, quite extensively, uh, our staff found a couple of ticks on it. Uh, okay. Once those ticks were removed, it really didn't improve that much. They kept looking, they found a couple more. So it had four ticks embedded uh, into this uh, young cat. Uh, mm-hmm. They've been since been removed, and she was on an IV to get uh, hydrated again, and now she's doing extremely well, and is going to be released back to the Cinnamon Ridge area uh, later this afternoon. Wow. And uh, there was another 
Another cat, a uh, bobcat that came to us uh, from the Cologne area. His yeah. name's Gallagher. Uh, had a broken leg. Uh, there probably there were stories around that where we took it to Vancouver and had surgery on it, plated its leg, uh, and had another surgery last week to have those plates removed. It's healing extremely well and doing wow. great, and it's scheduled to be released in a few weeks. Uh, I asked you this off the air, but on the air, um, is the sort of the injured animal rehabilitation, uh, is that an increasing amount of cases you guys are seeing, or what's that picture look like? There's a lot of, it, it's greatly increased over the past uh, number of years. Uh, we used to get maybe 300 uh, animals come through the facility a year, yeah. and now we're over 500, and, wow. and we can see it, and we can see it growing. Again, we build a new facility, uh, Fawcett Family Wildlife Health Center, yeah. uh, and um, the CEOs know that it's there and they bring it, you know, we, we get a lot of animals from different areas that people say, think that, you know, if we bring it to camels, they'll be able to help it. Right. Uh, so it's, uh, so it, it has increased. Uh, it, it's expensive to do, but, uh, <laughs> and again, we're, we're, uh, we're actually going to start a fundraising campaign right now to get a new x-ray machine. Okay. Uh, and we, again, it really came prevalent with, with Cherry. Yeah. We need a portable digital x-ray, uh, when we're looking after, uh, her hooves and some of her health concerns. Uh, with Gallagher, we have to sedate her to bring her to a clinic uh, to have x-rays. So it's really important that we have our own x-ray equipment at the park. So How much money do you need to get one of those babies? Uh, $40,000. Oh. 39600 to be exact. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll, we'll, gonna, we'll get there. Okay. How are you going to Is it just a pure? What's, what's the fundraising? Well, we'll, um, like? uh, well, we're going to start it off actually with your sister station with uh, Country 103. Uh, we'll be doing a, a concert this summer, uh, and all the proceeds awesome. from that will go towards uh, the x-ray machine. Yeah. Uh, there are, again, uh, other uh, people that like to make uh, animal care donations to the park. Uh, we'll be going to that. All the small little things, the 50-50 draws that we yeah. do, all those type of things will go towards. If somebody's listening right now and they want to just chip in and help you out, how do they do that? Uh, actually, either just uh, call the park and make a donation, or you can uh, go on to uh, Canada Helps. There's a, uh, we're listed with Canada Helps. So you can help. Uh, you can help that way. But okay. the easiest just to phone the park. Okay, sweet. Uh, before we move on, uh, just one quick final question on Cherry. Uh, you guys have had the pretty large enclosure that she's in. If you're not going to bring another moose into that, uh, what happens to that space then? Well, our animal care uh, committee is looking at some different things right now. Maybe uh, some uh, longhorn cattle or a Poswalski horse, which is a, a Mongolian wild horse. Yeah. Uh, we used to have them years ago, maybe bring them back, uh, increasing the bison herd uh, quite substantially. Uh, it, and with an empty right now, it'll give us an opportunity to do some, do some work and some maintenance uh, in there for a handling facility. And uh, then we'll... That's up to the animal care committee to, <laughs> to to find something interesting to put in there. All right, but there will be something there by uh, by the summertime. And speaking of things, you're putting in uh, mini golf coming. We are. It and should you're be gonna, coming uh, soon. You're going to avoid my recommendation, which was to put it in the grizzly bear cage. <laughs> I think it's a great idea. <laughs> <laughs> See, it'll be speed, mini golf. Yeah, it'll be speed golf. <laughs> See how fast you can play. Yeah, you don't have to play faster than the bear, just faster than your friend. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, where, yeah, uh, where are you guys putting it? It's going to be up by the wolf area. Okay. Again, we're going to create that area up there as more family friendly. There will be yes. uh, uh, some more concrete picnic tables up that area. And uh, it's right by the splash park and the playground. So the mini golf will be going in there right beside the, between the caboose and the, uh, and the wolf right, okay. uh, habitat. Awesome. So we'll also have a carver there this summer. Uh, that'll be uh, out of a, um, a piece of jade 
will be carving a carving, carving a bear. Oh. Uh, so it'll be a lot of activity up in that uh, nice. in that area. Yeah, that's summer. my kids' favorite part right up there. Yeah, that's where fun. the train is. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's where everybody loves the train. Yeah. Uh, how are you sure. guys doing number wise? Yeah, the uh, first quarters in the bank. What's it look like? Yeah, it actually looks great. Uh, our budget was uh, eighteen thousand four hundred for the first quarter, and we're sitting at nineteen six. So we're a little little above that. Uh, that does does give us a pretty good indication of uh, how we're going to do throughout the year, and yeah. uh, we're looking at between 101, 102 uh, thousand for the year. Last four years, we've averaged uh, 100 thousand, so we're um, we're looking at uh, we're definitely looking at over 100 thousand visitors for the year for sure. That's awesome. Uh, how do you? Uh, I mean, you're always looking to innovate. Obviously, you're looking to add. You're looking to bring people in. Um, how much kind of brain power is put into that every year? Once you close the books, you go, okay, we got our stalwarts, uh, you know, like wild lights, things like that that are big draws. What are we going to do different this year? Well, I think one of the things that we need to do is give our guests uh, some value-added experience and things that can actually keep them in the park or draw them into the park. And, again, that's where the mini golf uh, comes in. So right. uh, once people come and enjoy themselves and have a great day and, and uh, you know, and they start talking about it, hey, we had a wonderful day at the park, uh, I think those those things will um, will add to people coming for multiple visits. Yeah, so we'll, uh, and tourism right now is uh, on a big upswing. Uh, I guess in last year in Kamloops, there was 1.8 million people came through the through the city, and those yeah. numbers come from tourism Kamloops. Uh, they help promote us uh, internationally, which we don't have the budget to do. So between tourism Kamloops and TOTA, Thompson Okanagan Tourism Association. Uh, we're getting a lot of uh, guests from, from overseas, a lot from Australia, a lot from China, that are coming into the region and hence coming to the park. So uh, there's, a, there's a lot of good draw that way as well. I guess my final thought would be uh, how do you increase the, I mean, there's more people moving into the region. You're sitting beside a major highway, which helps a little bit. Um, what would sort of add to more people coming? Is it just, uh, you know, building more relationships with the tourism industry? Is it sort of increasing capacity at Kamloops Airport and providing some shuttle service? I mean, how would you see sort of bringing more people to your doorstep? Uh, I think reaching out and uh, coming in a partnership with uh, Rocky Mountaineer hmm. uh, would, be, would be huge for us. Uh, I know right now that uh, we're, we're going to work with them and try and do a pilot project of a few buses coming out this year and see where, see where that goes. If they're looking at doubling their capacity, uh, obviously those, those guests that are on the train are looking for uh, activities to do while they're in town. So if we can provide something like that, that would uh, that'll go a long way. Um, I think just uh, again with the value-added stuff that we can add, uh, I, I think uh, that's something that the locals will enjoy. That will enjoy coming out to the park uh, more often with the kids. Yeah, I think it's a great idea in the Rocky. I'm so I'm kind of surprised it doesn't happen yeah. already, but that's great. Well, yeah. it, it's it's really tough because by the time the train gets in the, in into Kamloops and they get registered in their hotel, uh, you know, it, it's dinner time. Sure. So if we'll have to do something innovative, that we do something in the in the evening mm. with uh, with a bird show or uh, some sort of animal counter specific to the group, and it'd be closed event to uh, to them. Oh, cool. So we'll, so we'll look at. Look at some of those options and see where we go. Awesome. Glenn, always a pleasure. Thanks, man. Well, thank you very much. It's great <laughs> to be in. That's Glenn Grant, who's the GM of the BC Wildlife Park. We'll take a quick break and dive into education issues on the other side. Radio NL. RadioNL.com. Local news now. The voice of your community. You're listening to Shane Woodford on 610 AM and RadioNL.com. 
Welcome back to the Woodford Show. Real pleasure to be joined on the phone now by the president of the Kamloops Thompson Teachers Association, Amanda Jensen-Labar. A bit of a change from years past and sort of the traditional budget uh, cycle where uh, it's a bunch of uh, moving money around and uh, laying off of teachers and things like that. This one is more about uh, addition than subtraction. Uh, what do you what do you like or, or don't like about this year's uh, annual budget process? Well, this is a very exciting year because this is the first year in a number of years where we've had this kind of increased growth in terms of enrollment in the school district. And it's the first time in a number of years that we are having a conversation about you know, what things can we add to the budget in order to enhance student learning and SD73. So it's a very exciting time. How do you see the budget from the process of uh, the usual sort of give and take from the teachers union side uh, with the district sort of working together on this thing. Has that been sort of copacetic or no? Well, we were invited uh, to the, to a board budget meeting uh, and we were able to answer, ask some questions around you know, the, the budget for next year. Um, this is the first year that we haven't received a response to our questions. Um, around the budget and, and particularly some of the things that we raised are some questions around um, uh, why we're not seeing an increase to, um, to staffing and student support services, particularly, you know, in light of, of uh, the restoration of class size and composition language, you know, so we're thinking about uh, all learners, but in, in particular, our most vulnerable learners. Uh, for people sort of outside the education profession, sort of casual listeners out there, when you say uh, you didn't get a response back, what do you traditionally get in years past? We usually get a written response back uh, from from the board, just answering some of the questions that we have. Um, but, you know, particularly around why were these things allocated, you know, some additional funds, why were these things not? Um, and we've not received a response yet. Um, you know, my understanding is that the budget was passed uh, just this last Monday. So, you know, we're, we're very concerned that, you know, some of our input um, hasn't been, we feel hasn't been considered. Oh, what do you do about that? Well, we'll be making contact with the district and, and asking them uh, about some of the questions that we had. Um, you know, other than that, We'll continue to work together with them, um, you know, and, and hopefully we'll be able to get some answers so that you know, we have some more clarity around, you know, the budget process and particularly around some of those allocations that I mentioned. Some of the new things that uh, we talked about addition, uh, they're going to be uh, putting more resources into uh, dealing with students' mental health uh, issues and needs as well as uh, on the healthy relationship side uh, in response yeah. to uh, those uh, two sexual uh, misconduct allegations that sort of sparked that uh, that uh, look into the whole issue. Um, what's your sense on, on those two things? Well, those two things are very, very important, particularly when we're talking about student and employee mental health. Um, you know, we're having more conversations around mental health, particularly you know, when, when we talk about student mental health, and those things are, are certainly a part of the new curriculum. So... I applaud the school district in looking at, you know, allocating some uh, teacher resources um, to that issue. Um, and hopefully we will see um, that those resources working for our students in the school district. I know that, uh, you know, just sort of speaking on a societal level, there's been a lot of 
forward motion on the mental health front uh, compared to say, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago. I think we've made some progress there. Uh, people tend okay. to think of it as sort of an adult issue, but uh, what do you see in the school system that has sort of gone unaddressed? I mean, is there a big need to kind of deal with uh, with anxiety and stress and, and some of those issues in the student population? Uh, certainly, and I don't, I don't know if it's an issue um, that's increased over the last few years. I think we're more so talking more about it, so I think we're more cognizant um, about it. But, you know, certainly teachers have identified over the last few years, and, and the district is certainly with us on this. Students are coming to school um, and, and are often, often have concerns with regards to anxiety, depression, um, you know, when there aren't the resources uh, that are adequate in order to address those kinds of concerns. Um, and certainly when, when we have students that are coming to school who are not prepared to learn, it impacts not only, of course, their learning, but the learning of others um, around them. So we're really happy that, you know, these conversations are happening on the district level, and we certainly, you know, will do everything that we can to, to bring to light the things that are happening in our classrooms. Um, but, you know, we, we're very happy that the district is addressing that uh, and, and is forwarding their work on it. Uh, the big issue, of course, is we're seeing uh, a surge in student population as we have uh, for a number of years now. Um, that has uh, also resulted in, in sort of a classroom crunch in the district out there. But uh, on the pertinent issue on budget, as I mentioned earlier, uh, there's a usual dance here. You lay off a bunch of teachers at the end of the school year in order to kind of close the financial books, rehire them if needed be in September, October. That causes undue yeah. stress and, and instability. Uh, is there, you know, if we're not doing that particular dance this year, is that better for morale out there among teachers or, or no? Certainly. I, I think it's better to, for teachers to know, uh, you know where they're going to be for next year as soon as the district is able to let them know um, so that people have the ability to plan well enough in advance for their assignments for, for the following school year. Um, final enrollment numbers and teacher assignments for next year have not been finalized, so it's hard to say whether or not uh, there are going to be layoffs uh, or any surpluses in our classrooms, but we'll be working with the district on that as well and hopefully very soon. All right. Um, and one of the other issues I know that I talked to uh, Kathleen Carpuck about the other day was whether, uh, from a budgetary perspective, uh, any more teachers would be hired, and she seemed to indicate uh, that is probably the case. I assume that there's some question marks there depending on enrollment numbers this fall, but uh, what's your understanding there? I certainly hope so. Um, you know, we've, we certainly have been of the position that, uh, that we've been short teachers for a number of years, and it's created a lot of stress. Um, in, in our schools, particularly on non-enrolling teachers. Uh, so those are your teacher librarians, learning assistants, teachers, special education resource, um, in elementary or prep teachers, um, when there are vacancies that need to be filled. So certainly there needs to be more teachers hired just in, to cover the number of teachers that, you know, are taking leaves or are ill on a daily basis, but then hiring more teachers into the system uh, and it's not just a Kamloops Thompson specific issue it's an issue all over British Columbia and in lots of other parts of Canada um, hiring more teachers uh, into the system to ensure that you know recruitment and retention and and addressing 
you know, shortages, whether that be retirements or people taking leaves, you know, are addressed in, in a very healthy way. So certainly I hope that there are new teachers that are, that are going to be hired and more teachers that are going to be hired. I would expect that that would happen. How are we doing on the teacher on call list? Uh, things are fairly healthy. Um, they, they've stayed healthy um, this academic year. So we're very pleased by that. Has staffing overall been, I mean, you seem to allude to a bit there, but, and I know that uh, uh, BCTF president-elect uh, was recently in town and, and said that uh, uh, by and large, uh, staffing was the biggest issue in this part of the world. Yes, that's certainly one of them, for sure. Yeah, and and particularly around recruitment and retention and ensuring we have a healthy teacher teaching on-call list. What are the other challenges? Around staffing? Or just if there's a big issue, as you mentioned, that staffing was one of the challenges. I'm just curious what the other big challenges are. Yeah, well, the other, the other challenge, and certainly it's not specific to our school district, is ensuring that, that there are teachers... Um, that are fully qualified in different areas. So it's become very difficult over the last few years to recruit and retain teachers, for example, that have technology education um, expertise or teachers that um, teach uh, French uh, immersion, for example, or French as a second language. So some of those specialty areas, of certainly our school district, but other school districts have felt a crunch. So that's another piece around the staffing. Hey, good to talk to you. Hey, gracias. Thanks a lot. And that was the president of the Kamloops Thompson Teachers Association, Amanda Jensen-Labar, talking local education issues and reacting to this year's school district budget, which is more about addition than subtraction. Big change from years past. And that brings to an end this edition of the Woodford Show. We'll see you again right here on Radio NL, same time tomorrow. 1230 Merritt, 1340 Ashcroft, Cash Creek, from CHNL in Kamloops, a Stingray radio station. This is Radio NL, 610 AM, local news now.